You're listening to episode 48 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Tara. He's Alex. The Cardinals are back in Atlanta, and it's winner take all against the Braves in game five. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the show. We are firmly into the postseason at this point, and it feels like it has been the longest week of all time since we talked last. I'm Tara Wellman, along with Alex Crisofoli, and it it really was just a week ago, Alex, but we talked about this before we started recording, and I had to go back and look at what we even talked about last week because it feels like a lifetime has passed since the Cardinals won the division and now are four games into the division series, which means they are headed for a do-or-die game in Game 5 in Atlanta on Wednesday, which is the day that you'll listen to this episode. So it's going to have a real short lifespan, so listen to it early. Otherwise, it's not going to make much sense. You can listen to it anyway, but... um, it probably won't have as much of an impact. Uh, but Alex, man, what a week and what a ride it's been with this team so far. It feels like it's been forever. Yeah. I, I What did we talk about? I don't even remember. <laughs> I assume we talked about the upcoming playoff series. Uh, I echo what a lot of other people are saying, which is that I had forgotten. I had not forgotten, but you really don't appreciate how agonizing playoff baseball is Mm -hmm. unless your team is in it. And it's only been six days and man, three of the four games have been pretty, uh, what's the best word to describe them? Uh, Excruciating. Excruciating, (laughs) nerve wracking. Like even the games we won, uh, it was more just like a sigh of relief versus let's all go out and celebrate. So yeah, hopefully uh what two down hopefully nine to go that's how many it takes right 11 yeah Yeah. hopefully nine to go if if we can all handle it yeah it has not no single inning has come easily it doesn't feel like and you're right it's a totally different experience when it's the team that you're invested in because I'm sitting here watching Houston get beat by Tampa Bay right now which should not be happening but I'm watching it without any real nerves and without any real angst over what is or isn't going to happen and meanwhile every single pitch of uh of the Cardinals Brave series has felt like it was my life on the line, which is, I guess, what happens when, um, you know, you're playing in games where either you win or or the season's over. And we've put so much into this team this year, just following their transformation into a postseason team that uh, it's been it's been a ride. Like I said, many, many moments already kind of unloading on the Braves bullpen in game one, then getting shut out in game t- two with Jack Flaherty on the mound. Then Adam Wainwright's absolute masterclass in game three that was spoiled because Carlos Martinez suddenly can't get outs and is beefing with Ronald Acuna Jr., which is weird and dramatic. There have been bizarre decisions from Mike Schilt. The offense has done the thing where it goes completely MIA again. And then all of a sudden, Paul Goldschmidt and Marcelo Zuna look like the Paul Goldschmidt and Marcelo Zuna we've been waiting for all season in game four and kind of lead the charge that puts the Cardinals in a position to win. And they still almost blew it. (laughs) And it came down to a couple of weird plays and and some heroics from none other than Yadier Molina in game four to push this to game five with a dramatic walk-off win in extra innings. 
uh, Alex, I don't know where you want to start talking about this series because we can talk about pitching. We can talk about hitting or the lack thereof. We can talk about bad defense, which is a thing that we haven't had to talk yeah. about much this year. Yeah. We can talk about decisions Mike Schilt has made or rather has not made, which is also a thing that hasn't been that much of a talking point lately. I mean, it just like well, postseason baseball is bringing out all the weird. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we've now done this podcast for what's basically the entire 2019 season, correct? Mm-hmm. And one thing I was thinking about is, and correct me if I'm wrong, not once did we really have a show where we focused on something that was happening off the field uh, or something that's kind of like only tangentially related to the game. Like, for instance, last year, like the Bud Norris and Jordan Hicks stuff. Like, Mm, surely if that would have happened this year, we would have talked about it. Or the Dexter Fowler, Matheny stuff. Uh, So it was a very non drama year at least off the field yeah don't you agree with that and and maybe yeah yeah, and maybe Schilt deserves some credit for that well in the last week we have this uh Carlos Martinez and Ronald Acuna situation um we have the uh Ryan Helsley stuff with Mm -hmm. the uh tomahawk chop and yeah it's exactly like you said um a lot of things like once the postseason begins Whatever you thought your team was during the uh, regular season, the postseason can also can often turn that upside down. And I, you know, I sh- I probably shouldn't include like Ryan Helsley in this because, as if any of that is his fault, you know, yeah. like like there's clearly no blame lying on his end on, but on even, that situation. Even but, with that kind of thing, like the 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 weird conversation about the attendance at Monday's game oh and gosh. like just all kinds of I dumb thought we were, stuff. I thought we were done like, with that. So what is happening? <laughs> so attendance has been down pretty much across the board um, steadily since 2015. Um, yeah. Now, from what I understand from, I, I think Forbes had an article about this. Uh, some of that, can, you know, there's lots of things going on there. Uh, and some of that can be blamed I'm sure on the amount of tanking teams and like, you know, no one wants to show up to watch the Marlins. Of course, no one wants to show up to watch the Orioles, even though Camden Yards is a great place to watch a baseball game. That obviously isn't a problem in the postseason because none of the tanking teams are in the postseason, (laughs) but all the other issues are still a problem, which is that like, yeah, you could maybe have found a ticket to go to Bush stadium for 20 bucks um, yesterday or whatever it was that I saw. But that doesn't account for just the commitment it takes to go to a baseball game, which is you're probably going to be out of your house or whatever for at least five hours. So you're going to need food. You're going to need all this stuff. And everything is way more expensive than it used to be. Um, And it's so much more enjoyable to watch at home than it used to be because our TVs are awesome now (laughs) and they weren't awesome in 1987 when you could go to a baseball game and still basically bring an entire family of kids and not spend like a ton of money. And from what I understand, that even includes like, you know, the rising cost of, uh, you know, what a dollar's worth from 1985 mm-hmm. to up to now. So, and that is also two o'clock on exactly, a Monday. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's the NLDS and this Cardinals team is not 
let's be honest, they're not the most exciting thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, they're not like a must-see show. And so, you know, I didn't think attendance was even that bad. Like, you know, there was that one section where, yeah, there were some empty seats. But other than that, it was pretty packed. Uh, and the crowd, a- it was a boring game. The crowd would have been into it more if it wasn't such a boring game until pretty much the, uh, you know, close to the end. It just is such a weird thing to try to stake your claim on. I don't know, especially, I guess, from a team that that pales in comparison in regular season attendance to the Cardinals anyway. It just, like, it was a weird thing to to try to plant your flag on and, and be all uh, all in on and, and then to turn it into, I don't know, there was some yeah. Atlanta media guy that was talking about how he's a better parent and better oh baseball God. fan I than thought, everyone okay. who didn't take their kid out of school to go to it just was stupid it was like if that's well, if that's the story that we need to push here then maybe this series is kind of boring <laughs> and it hasn't been i don't know if you saw but they were doing that same stuff to the nationals uh, yeah on uh, uh monday night and as some and you know that was a six forty five start time which is preferable to uh what time the Cardinals game? Two start. o'clock. Yeah, uh, three o'clock my time. Two o'clock, yeah. I guess, uh, local time. But as someone who has been to probably close to a hundred games at Nats Park, I can tell you it's not always the easiest thing to do in the world, uh, especially mm-hmm. um, if it's a normal start game like a seven o'clock or even like a playoff game that starts at eight o'clock. By the time you take the Metro home, that's assuming the Metro is still running by the time the game ends. Uh, by the time you take the Metro home, like you're talking about getting home at like one o'clock in the morning yeah. or, or min, you know, it's not always the most enjoyable thing to do on a school night or a work night or whatever sort of uh, thing you might have going on the next day. So, you know, I think uh, often that's just like a thing that uh, people of rival teams like to just be annoying about um, um, particularly Cubs fans, uh, you know, or Cubs media who don't take into account that, the amount of people who live within like a one mile radius of Wrigley field is probably (laughs) like a third of the entire St. Louis city population as a whole. Um, So it's, you know, we're talking about different things here and like, because I've never watched any game, whether it's a playoff game or a regular season game when it's a teams I don't care about and been like, Whoa, what's going on with the attendance? You know, like who cares? Right. That's what I say. (laughs) And by the time we get to the NLCS where the Cardinals are lucky enough to be there, I'm sure it's going to be packed. Right. Yeah. It, it was just such a, a, a continuation of the, like I said, the weird in this series. Um, you mentioned the Ryan Helsley thing. I, I will be cautiously curious, I guess, to see how that carries over to game five. Um, I don't know that we want to dive down that rabbit hole, although we certainly can. Um I'll talk but about it briefly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a, a, it's such a strange thing, I think for um, fans to react to a particular player and, and almost blame him for having an opinion about a thing when it's, it shouldn't, it seems so, it seems so normal to me <laughs> to think, Oh, this is a thing that affects someone else differently than it affects me. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to like it. I don't have to understand it, but let me hear what they have to say. Um, Of all the ways for rivalries to be continued or for the competition to kind of spark that back and forth between fans, this really brought out 
like the worst in people, I think. And it was super disappointing. And quite honestly, it concerns me with with Ryan Helsley and the possibility of pitching in Atlanta on Wednesday um, because you want these guys to be at their absolute peak mentally and physically at this point. We saw with Carlos Martinez, when that's not the case, it can dramatically affect their performance. And it shouldn't be a thing that he's having to think about at this point. And it, it was just really disappointing. And regardless of kind of the direction that you take on the entirety of the the issue itself, the tomahawk chop and the chant and and what it means and what it doesn't. Um, look, I don't think an entire stadium of fans is doing it with the intention of being terrible human beings, but that doesn't take away from the impact that it can have on someone else. And, and that should have been a conversation people could have had in a much more civil fashion. Although that's not really what Twitter's known for. So I guess I should have expected that. Well, in the event, unlikely event that someone's listening who doesn't quite even know what we're talking about. Uh, do you want to give a quick primer? Like what, what's happening here? So obviously the Braves fans have been doing the Tomahawk chop since 1991 uh, when they made their, kind of began that dynasty uh, playoff runs. And um, yeah, go, go ahead. Well, and Ryan Helsley, during, yeah. Ryan Helsley came into the game in, uh, what was it, game two? And was it game two or was it game one? It was game one. It was game one. And but, then he was asked about it the but, day of game two. Right, but why does it affect, why, why Ryan Helsley versus Right, Ryan else? Helsley is, his mom is full-blood Cherokee. Exactly, yeah. Um, he is a, I believe teaches at a a Cherokee school in the off season. He's Mm -hmm. fluent in the language and involved in the culture. And it's, it's very much a part of his life. Um, not that that, not that that means more than someone who isn't directly involved with, with the Cherokee culture or, or any native American part of their family history, but that's just the reality of what this is for him. It's not, um, something that's sort of on the side. It's a very tangible part of his life. And, and he came into the game, uh, in relief in game one to the, the chop and the chant. And there was some conversation on Twitter about, wow, I wonder how he feels about this. And then the next day he was asked about it. And as anyone does, when they're asked a question, they typically give some sort of an answer. And quite honestly, I felt like it was really thoughtful. It was not pointed. It wasn't um, in any way condemning anyone for any specific thing. It was just very genuine and, and authentically driven by this idea of, of how it misrepresents in his mind, the life and the um, culture of the Native American people that it's sort of mocking in even a an indirect way. It feel, feels pretty direct, but I'm trying to trying to cover the bases because, like I said, I don't think the stadium full of people, for the most part, are doing it with the intention of being offensive. But because of the personal nature of it to Ryan Helsley. He was asked about it. He answered. And boy, did it take off. (laughs) The articles that were written by Jeff Jones and Derek Gould and Mark Saxon turned into national stories within a matter of hours. And they were headlines just about everywhere you looked at anything that had to do with baseball. And Braves fans and fans of other teams, including some Cardinals fans, I will say, um, did not react well. And there were all kinds of 
critiques. There were all kinds of questions. There were all kinds of insults. And um, essentially, people basically told Ryan Helsley that he shouldn't care and that it was harmless and he should just get over it. And <laughs> it was much more colorful than that. And you can look it up if you want to. I wouldn't recommend it. But yeah, it was it was really disappointing, I think, to see that reaction to a story that I thought was quite compelling just because, you know, it's different for Ryan Housley to talk about that than it is for me to talk about it because I have no direct connection to it. And to hear from him in that light and to, again, see his comments being thoughtful and and genuine, it seemed like a good story (laughs) and it turned into a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I, I think the, first of all, like you said, this was not like him going out of his way to make like an Instagram post and right. uh, or him like just grabbing a bully pulpit, uh, which would have been fine, by the way, that this was someone coming to him with a question or someone bringing it up to him and him answering, you know, not unlike Dexter Fowler last season. Right. Um, when Absolutely. the, uh, you know, Muslim ban uh, thing happened, I, th- I think that was in early spring. Um, second, uh, I'll echo what you said, which is that, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty confident that most of the people at that stadium are, are, are doing what, what they think is fun. They're not acting with any sort of malice. Um, but like, you know, I, I sort of, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I can sort of relate in that, you know, I grew up, I'm, I'm still a huge, like fighting Illini fan. So I grew up with uh, chief Illini wick, um, which was not necessarily a mascot because he, he was only like at, at the football games, like during halftime and he would come out and dance with the band um, and same with basketball games, but he wasn't like a, a full-time presence on the field or court. Um, and I, I'll be honest, when I was growing up, like I loved it. I thought it was awesome, uh, especially at the football games. It like gave me chills. Like, this is so cool. Uh, and, you know, I just didn't think about stuff like that in a broader sense. And the people who were bringing that to our attention, we were kind of dismissed at the time as kooks. Um, And this was like from, you know, there were people protesting Chief Illini from way back in the day. This wasn't like something that started like in 2005 or anything like that. Um, But, you know, you get older and you, you learn more and you broaden your horizons a bit and you're like, you know, huh? Like, yeah, as you said earlier, this doesn't affect me the way it would affect someone else um, who is perhaps Native American or who has, has whatever sort of connection with the Native American community. And they got rid of Chief Illini Wick. And I was, by that time, by the time I got rid of them, happy that they were doing that. And guess what? Like, sure, there are still some fans who, like, wish he was there. But for the most part, it's he was completely easy to forget about and i'm glad that he's gone um even though again like it was never done with any sort of malice and i think the same thing would happen with the chop if they're just like you know what like it's we really don't need to be giving out uh tomahawks to people entering the stadium we don't need to be encouraging the chant um it's doing more harm than good at this point um just kind of like the Indians, you know, they just went through a whole season without Chief Wahoo. Did you miss Chief Wahoo? Did any, I mean, I'm sure there are some fans who miss Chief Wahoo. Uh, but man, like the world kept turning. We're better for it if we could just be smarter, be more uh, 
compassionate about this stuff and just let it go and we're all going to be fine. And I don't know. I, I, I think I don't have a ton of eggs. I think you covered it all very well. I, Ryan Helsley um, had, had really good comments about it. I, I appreciated what he had to say and I hope everyone else did too. Obviously everyone didn't, but they should have. Yeah. I think for me, it just, it comes down to people being willing to look beyond themselves and their own experiences and kind of look at look at the way something is perceived through someone else's eyes and look there's a ton in history in any aspect whether we're talking about native americans or we're talking about any other problematic piece of culture that we can look at and and get defensive about because well, we didn't mean it that way. And I think sometimes you just gotta, gotta stop thinking about how it feels to us, whatever our normal is and be willing to kind of reevaluate. And like you said, learn more and be better because of it. And to, I don't know, be all in on something that seems so silly. I, I, I did find it a little bit funny watching the nationals game a couple days later and because everybody's talking about oh it's it it's so powerful to have this whole stadium you know chanting in unison and and it it unites everyone around okay fine um there's got to be another chant (laughs) there's got to be another thing oh baby shark exactly (laughs) (laughs) then i was watching an entire stadium do the dumb baby shark thing and thinking okay so it doesn't have to be offensive and problematic and disrespectful to an entire group of people, you can do baby shark and be fine. You get the same high, you get the same rush, you can get the same thing out of it. So the defense on, on that end is just really silly. And and it shows an unwillingness to look beyond yourself and, and learn something about the world um, and be better for it. So like I said, I, I hope there are no, dramatic effects of that lingering for game five. I won't be surprised if there are because people are terrible, (laughs) but um, good for Ryan Helsley for being thoughtful and eloquent in expressing his thoughts. And I hope that more people will be able to um, approach topics like this with that same kind of clarity and that same authenticity that made it, like I said, I I think a really great story that, that should be told from the perspective of these athletes as real humans, not just sports robots more, more often. So that kind of gives you an indication of how much off field stuff there was this week, because we've gone 20 plus minutes into the show and not really talked about baseball. (laughs) And that was just one story, but perhaps the most significant of them outside of that. I, I mean, the starting pitching pretty much held up like we thought it would and the bullpen was a, a little scary. And then there was Carlos Martinez. And I don't know where you go with Carlos Martinez at this point. I mean, you kind of have to just ride it out, right? Because you can't make too many changes dramatically now. I know there are masses who want Giovanni Gallegos to be the closer from this point on. Um, I, I think that you can go a lot of ways with that. A lot of this comes down to Mike Schilt and his 
insistence on kind of more of the loyalty than I think a lot of people would like for there to be in the postseason. And I know I said something about it on Twitter the other day. It, it seems a little strange that he kind of got more and more aggressive as the season went on. And so far in four games of postseason play, he's kind of backed off from that entirely and been less aggressive than he's been in months, which seems like maybe not the smartest play. But, talking about, we're talking about Schill, right? Yes, Mike yeah, Schill so, and his usage. It just seems like its he's kind of gone backwards. And I think Carlos Martinez has been the biggest example of that. Do you remember, I, it was either a week ago or two weeks ago when we were talking and we were discussing how Schilt will manage in the postseason yeah. uh, based on some of the decisions he'd made uh, leading up to that week. And I was like, no, nah, no, nah, he's going to be, you know, Schilt's a smart guy. He's going to be fine in the postseason. Like, <laughs> like the, leaving the starter in for too long or uh, whatever else, uh, you, you know, he's not going to be relying on pitchers like John Gant, uh, which, you know, he hasn't. We can say that, but. I was wrong. He, 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 uh, he has left starters in too long. Uh, Wainwright, I, I think we can all agree he at least should have came out at least one batter sooner than he did, uh, possibly two. Uh, the Dakota Hudson thing, I was listening on the radio, um, so I didn't quite have the same, I don't know, context as maybe people watching – but it sure seemed like he left Hudson in just a tad too long. The, uh, the biggest thing was the intentional walk to McCann, which uh, I don't know if you read Ben Clemens article today at Fangraphs. Like, God, he's really good. He's so good at yeah. those articles. Like, ben Clemens writes for Fangraphs. Everyone should read his stuff. I think he writes for Viva Alberto's too. Um, or at least I think he still does. Um, basically he laid out why the intentional walk to McCann maybe wasn't as bad as it appeared to be on its face, um, mostly because of the type of uh, platoon splits that McCann has and the type of platoon splits that Carlos has. That said, um, I still hated it. Uh, I didn't like it at all in the moment. Uh, Obviously, I didn't like it in the aftermath. But what I will say is Carlos Martinez still could have gotten uh, Dancy Swanson out, and he just... Mm -hmm kind of left a bad pitch up in the zone. And, you know, Carlos Martinez has made a career off feasting on righties. So you do sort of see why that was a decent play at the moment, or at least a defense, a decent, the wrong word, a defensible play. Uh, you still could have gotten Swanson out. And, you know, I, I don't want to analyze the butterfly effect too much here, but who knows, maybe the series is over if that happens. And, you know, game four plays out exactly like it did. <laughs> Um, yesterday, but I just really, really, you know, I'm watching the Astros right now, as you mentioned, they're losing four, nothing to the race, but the Astros made a lot of noise, uh, this season because they didn't issue an entire intention. They didn't issue a single in- intentional walk, uh, all year. And I don't know how big of a deal that is. I mean, obviously the reason the Astros won a ton of games is because they have a lot of really good players, arguably one of the greatest lineups we've ever seen. Uh, so that's why they won a lot of games and not necessarily because they didn't issue any intentional walks. And, you know, we're talking about a team in the American League versus the team in the National League where you might see a few more intentional walks because then you can, you know, pitch to a pitcher or something like that. Um, although that wasn't the play with McCann, obviously, the other night. I just didn't like it because now you had only one base open 
if Carlos were to say walk a guy, then there's no margin of error. And not only that, but you're putting the what I guess would have been the winning run on base, right? And McCann, who who mm-hmm. of you know uh, poetic justice that whoever was pinch running for him, I already forgot that runner did come around to score. Uh, it just seemed, Billy Hamilton, right? Yeah, yeah. It just seemed like overthinking a situation. Yeah, and. I don't know. I, I saw some people say like, uh, you know, we never, you know, that never would happen with Larusa, and I take major issue with that. Like Larusa did stuff like that all the time. Yeah, I did. all the time. Now, <laughs> I w- what I will say about Larusa is there's no way he has Dakota Hudson in that game uh, for for yeah. those uh, last couple of batters, and same with Wainwright. Uh, so, yeah, you know, L- Larusa is in the conversation for greatest managers of all time, but he was not perfect, uh, especially when it came to things like that. So yeah, Schilt could be better. Um, we have a game tonight. I guess when everyone's listening to this, it will be tonight when if we win, it'll all cease to matter. And at least moving forward, we can uh, hope that, I don't know that at least on the starting pitching front, he's going to, be a little more aggressive getting those guys out of there. As far as Carlos Martinez is concerned, I got to be honest, I was a little nervous when he came out in game four. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a big revelation. I think a lot of people were. Um, but I don't know who would have been necessarily the better option right there. And he, he looked pretty good. He um, lead off double to Acuna, which obviously was troubling, but worked around that and everything was fine. Or wait, was that a lead off double or was that – was Lacunia the second batter? Um, no. It was leadoff. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the Carlos thing is, it's interesting to me how quickly the tide turns with the expectations of Carlos Martinez, right? I mean, if you look at his numbers over the course of the season, particularly the second half, I mean, he took over for Jordan Hicks, who had been great at that point, And then we weren't entirely sure what Martinez's role was going to be. And it became very obvious at that point. The the numbers are there. The season has been strong. The Cardinals would have been pretty lost without him doing what he did at the back end of the bullpen this year. But it's such a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately role being the last guy out of the bullpen. And what he had done lately was give up a couple of home runs in game one that made it a lot closer than it should have been and then not pitched well Um Obviously, in Game 3, following Adam Wainwright, when you cost Adam Wainwright that win as well, um, you know, I think that adds to the the angst, to be sure. But look, he was leaving pitches over the middle of the plate. It wasn't just a matter of, um, you know, good hitting or, or bad strategy. It was poor execution. And we should acknowledge that he did lose a person close to him, someone that was like family, evidently the day of game one. So there's also that sort of mindset question about where he is mentally. And then the, the beef with Acuna Jr., which is just kind of strange and, and a weird Carlos Martinez thing, which happens sometimes. I have been considering trying to write an article about Carlos Martinez, the premise of which is essentially is Carlos Martinez worth the drama? And I think there would be people very vehemently convinced on either side of that debate. And I think this week was sort of a microcosm of that for 
what he's capable of versus what happens when he's not on his A game. I, I was a little terrified when they went back to him in game four, but I wasn't surprised. Mike Schultz basically said as much the night before that that's what they would do. And Carlos has done this before where he looks really, really terrible. And then it all sort of snaps back into place and he's fine. Um, I, I don't know. I Is Carlos Martinez worth the drama, Alex? <laughs> yes. I, I mean, I don't even... What, what are we talking about with drama? Are we talking about Acuna stuff? Because the only, it, the only problem I had with the entire thing was when I felt as though he... I'm not sure if he was trying to hit Acuna, but I think he was trying to yeah. pitch him in um, just yeah. for a little bit of intimidation on a 3-2 count where we're already down 3-1. But that's 3-1 is still a ball game. And if you have a guy in a 3-2 count, you still have a pretty good chance of, I don't know, maybe throw him something outside, maybe see if he chases it. Like, why are we conceding him first base? Uh, because... Mm-hmm. 3-1 is still a game. 5-1 to me is not. Um, now, we ended up losing the game anyway, so it didn't matter. But no, I, I, I'm Carlos is, was a very good starting pitcher. He was a very good closer as soon as Hicks went down. Uh, we talked uh, several weeks ago about the fact that it's very hard to win as a closer because even if you're good, and I, I think the example I gave was, let's say you have like a... 3.00 ERA or something like that. That means every once in a while, you're going to be blowing a save. And that's all people are going to remember. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Carlos has been much worse than that in the couple of appearances he's made this postseason. But down the stretch, he was basically that. He was a very solid uh, relief pitcher. And any sort of complaints about him were overshadowed. And, you know, his the few saves he did blow or like the, the leads that he you know, made a little smaller, <laughs> but still got the final out, were remembered much more than the times where he had a yeah. shutdown inning. So, yeah, I, I don't – I'm sorry, I have no idea what's going on back home. Uh, he lost someone. Um, if if that's affecting his ability to pitch, that's not on him. That's on Schilt, in my opinion. Like, right. Schilt needs to know yep. whether or not exactly. he, he should be throwing him out there. The fact that – he is still throwing him out there. It makes me think that Schilt thinks he's good enough to pitch or Schilt just really doesn't mm-hmm. trust his bullpen quite like he used to. Uh, and, it, you know, I think we all sort of feel that way, right? <laughs> like the, the, uh, yeah. the, the few things that we always counted on throughout this season, the bullpen and the defense has been shaky uh, in the postseason. And, you know, that's, that can happen when a single series, whether it's like a, you know, a five game series or a seven game series will take on narratives of their own, even though we're talking about such small samples and just a couple of games, um, right. because they do feel like almost kind of mini seasons um, by themselves. So I think you still have to keep throwing Carlos out there. Uh, well, I've, and obviously that's going to keep, ha- you know, that's going to happen. He was, he was fine yesterday. If we have a lead going into the ninth inning tomorrow, I expect him to get the ball. And I, I, Honestly, I do. I think he's still our best option right there. Yeah, I think that that is certainly what we'll likely see, uh, despite the despite the panic that will will quickly spread throughout oh, um, Cardinals Twitter. Can I add? Yeah, can I add one more thing on that? And uh, yes. So I defended 
Kyle Schwarber on this a couple weeks ago when he Amir Garrett struck him out and was excited walking off the mound and Kyle Schwarber <laughs> kind of like basically yelled at him like uh, you know tone it down or something like that. I don't know what he said and uh, Garrett did absolutely nothing wrong. He was excited in the moment, struck him out and Schwarber was the one in the wrong because he was yelling at him when really he was just frustrated because he struck out in a big moment. That said, when did we come up with this idea that you're not allowed to get mad, even irrationally mad, <laughs> in a very high-pressure situation of like a uh, very important sporting event? Like Players are going to get pissed off when they shouldn't, even when they shouldn't, especially if they feel as though someone not only got the best of them, but is kind of rubbing their face. It's <laughs> like, of course they're going to get mad. And I want them to get mad. Uh, I would get mad. And th- that doesn't mean there's something wrong with uh, anything Acuna did. Um, but we don't have to, it doesn't have to be like this binary decision that this person's right and this person's wrong. Like yeah. neither of them are right and neither of them are wrong. Like that's how human interactions usually work in almost all facets of life. I hate this idea that uh, the word fun is almost like ruining baseball for me. Everyone's like, God, he's so – let them have – like, hey, is that team any good? No, but they have a bunch of fun players. Like, what does that even mean? Like, (laughs) I don't even – like, you know what's – like, what's fun to me is this. Like, having a team that is playing in October uh, as the Cardinals are doing right now, uh, I – I am not offended by bat flips. Uh, I think every once in a while, one they kind of look cool, but they don't. I don't know. I, they're not the highest form of entertainment that some people make them out to be. That said, they don't bother me at all. But it also doesn't bother me when a pitcher gets annoyed when he gives up a home run and the guy bat flips. Like I would expect someone to get annoyed if I was at work and something bad happened to me at work and someone was like laughing at me. I would probably be like. You suck. Don't do that. I don't. I don't appreciate this. Um, and then you know, maybe an hour later, I'd be like, Ah, you know who I was really mad at? I was annoyed at myself. But in the moment, yeah. I reacted that way. So yeah, this idea that like, yeah, of course baseball is fun. Of course we want players to have fun. But this is also like high stakes. This is high pressure situation. This is like what these guys have been thinking about all season. They're going to get angry even at times when maybe they shouldn't be angry and we need to chill out a little bit and let them have fun, but also let them be angry at times. I 1000% agree. And, you know, I was making this point about Carlos the other day that I kind of feel like if you, if you try to take away the part of Carlos that is going to be mad and a little offended and maybe say something like respect me as a veteran, which is hilarious to me, but whatever. Um, he certainly has every right to, to feel that way or to be upset about something because he, you know, whatever it is what it is. But if you take that away from Carlos, you lose the fire that is Carlos Martinez. And I don't want that. I don't want a boring version of Carlos Martinez. I don't want, I don't want to lose the guy with the crazy hair and the cup stacking and the water splashing. I don't want to lose that for the sake of, you know, toning it down on the mound or whatever. It just, it's so silly to me to try to strip part of that away from a pitcher when you don't want to strip that away from a hitter who celebrates a home run. It just is a a very weird disconnect for me. So I, I agree. I think, and it's always fascinating to watch the reactions to that because 
everyone who wants to cheer the emotion of a bat flip, right? Because that's emotion as well. You're excited in the moment, you're reacting, wants to eliminate the emotion of the pitcher who's upset about giving up the home run. I, I just feel like if you take one, if you take the emotion out, <laughs> you're taking it out both ways. And I don't want that to be baseball. I don't, I don't want to eliminate that part of what does make the game fun, right? Because those are the kinds of guys that are the most compelling to watch. And they might give you a heart attack sometimes when (laughs) they're closing out games, but I don't want to lose that part of Carlos Martinez for the sake of some weird unwritten, well, don't give up a home run if you don't want him to bat flip rule. That is the, all right. So people have been saying that for years now. Well, if you, if you don't like a bat flip, then don't give up a home run as if it was some deliberate act. (laughs) As if they're like, you know what? I'm going to give up a home run right here. Oh, wait, why'd you bat flip? I didn't know you were going to do that. Um, if I'd known you were going to do that, I wouldn't. I would have thrown you the non-home run pitch. Uh, like, yeah, they're not giving up home runs on purpose. I'm just like, yeah. If I hear another like, uh, oh, this guy's so fun. Like, what are are we nine? Like, how old are we? Like, I don't care about like, uh, you know, a guy who has a 550 OPS but can do a funny dance in the dugout. Like, it's just not for me. Like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm not uh, meant for this baseball world anymore, uh, Tara. I don't know. I don't know. But. It changes too quickly to keep up with, I guess. But what uh, what will be entertaining, what will be incredibly high stress, and yeah, will certainly bring out the uh, best and or worst of players and fans alike will be game five, right? Winner yeah. take all, or at least advance to the next series. And uh, the loser packs up and goes home for the winter, which doesn't sound like any fun at all. So game five on Wednesday, Jack Flaherty on the mound facing off against Fultonevich take two, because this was a matchup we saw earlier in the series. The question I think for the Cardinals is how do you prepare for sliders that you can't hit? <laughs> Cause that's what they're going to get all day long. Yeah, I, I'm already. If this is going to be a game that we lose two nothing, and just one of those, you know, nineings of baseball where we scatter like three singles throughout the game, I'm going to be so mad. Uh, that said, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I, I think the Cardinals are exactly um, where they want to be, which is we all we wanted was a split in those first two games in Atlanta, which we got. And then they were able to claw back and win that game four to, you know, to bring it back to Atlanta with uh, quite arguably the best pitcher in baseball right now on the mound. I, it's hard to say we could be in a better position. Uh, Ozuna and Goldschmidt are both swinging the bat very well right now. There are certainly some players, as you know, who, who are not that we need to step up. That's the young, that's Fowler. Uh, that was probably even Yachty yeah. until, um, until, you know, yesterday and, you know, even what he did yesterday wasn't like a breakout, uh, although that was a brilliant at bat, I think, uh, to win the game. Yeah. To, to go up there, basically, you, you know, when Yachty first walked up, I was like, okay, just obviously don't hit a double play. Right. Just don't, <laughs> hit, hit, you know, hit a double play. Uh, but I also thought like, yeah, like, He's a guy I trust to know, like, I'm going to get the ball in the air. I'm just going to, mm-hmm. you know, if, if there was a guy I trust to, like, uh, to drive in that run the way he did it, which is the sack fly, like, it's probably Yachty more than the other players on the team. Uh, 
just because I, I I trust him to make contact with the ball in that situation. Yeah. So so that was really great to see. But yeah, if we could have some other guys on offense step up uh, with Ozuna and Goldschmidt, then I'm going to feel really good not only about tomorrow, but also going forward. Um, assuming the bullpen also kind of stabilizes and has a little bit uh, positive regression to the mean, uh, especially compared to what they were during the regular season. Yeah, I will say the bullpen looked real strong on Monday, uh, and that included Carlos Martinez, but John Brebbia looked good. Um, uh-huh. Andrew Miller looked uh, – <laughs> he can vary from at bat to at bat. He looked real great in, in one at bat, um, got a, a little help from the defense in the next. Um, Gallegos got into a bit of trouble, but some of those guys that we were a little unsure of looked pretty strong in Monday's game. Plus, you know, a day off to reset everybody. Hopefully that will help as well. The The lack of offensive production really has to be the focus, I think, for this team. And especially going up against a guy who shut him out in game two of the series. Hopefully they have done their homework since then and they at least know that they're not going to get a steady diet of fastballs. Um, but you're right. Guys like Colton Wong and Dexter Fowler, Paul DeYoung certainly need to step up and play along with the offensive production of Paul Goldschmidt and, and Marcelo Zuna. Um, game fives are stressful, <laughs> but this is exactly where we said the Cardinals would probably be. I do remember that from our show last week, we talked about how this team never makes anything easy and we would not be surprised if they push it to the bitter end. And that is exactly what they have done. They've taken years off of our lives in the process, but here we are game five and you're right. I, I like their chances as well as I've liked their chances in any game in the series. And all of that really stems from Jack Flaherty and, and the consistency with which we've seen him just do what he does. And it will be take two for the Braves against Jack Flaherty as well. So I'm sure that they have been adjusting their approach since then. And, and they'll be fully prepared for that. But we've seen Jack do some pretty incredible things in the last couple of months. So you got to feel good about that. Um, this is a, a Cardinals team that has somehow come up with enough offense just at the, at the last moment possible. So Maybe they'll continue that incredibly stressful trend as well. Or they can do what they did in game 162 and just leave no doubt. And I'd be perfectly happy with that. I think the competition's a little stiffer in uh, in this game five than game 162 was. So I'm not sure that we'll see that. Alex, I know that you have more on elimination games. If you're ready for the chirp of the week, we can go right to that. Unless you have more to say about game five coming up. No, I'm ready. I'm all I'll say about game five is I'm not ready for this to be over. I'm yeah. ready for another uh, week and a half of just complete agony. So uh, <laughs> let's win tomorrow. Uh, I'm also going to be cheering for the Nats because then uh, if the Cardinals play the Nats, I'm going to get to go to a few games. So that's what I'm cheering for, and that's what everyone else should be cheering for too because uh, I don't know. I, I feel as though I like our chances uh, against Washington better than L.A. for the obvious reasons. Uh, so yeah, I will so join you in cheering for that because that is also the only possible scenario in which I would get to go to a playoff game. So let's all <laughs> hope that happens. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Chirp of the week. Uh, I don't have a ton to say today, but because uh, tonight, again, when everyone's listening to this, 
we have a uh, winner-take-all game, a game five. Uh, I thought I would go back and look at the Cardinals' history in uh, postseason winner-take-all games. Uh, and this began with game seven of the 1926 World Series. Um, and the most recent one uh, leading up to uh, – I'm, I'm sorry. The, the, and the most recent one leading up to tonight would be uh, 2013 when we beat the Pirates in game five of the uh, NLDS. Uh, now, when I say winner take all, obviously I'm talking about game fives and the best of uh, five series or game seven and best of seven. So like Dave Freeze game doesn't count because that was only game six and that was not a winner take all uh, because we won that game and we still needed another game to win the whole thing. So these, these are winner take alls, game, winner take, ah, winner takes all games. So game fives, game sevens, and I'm also counting the wild card uh, play in game. So, Tara, we have played in 21 of these type of games, okay? Okay. The Cardinals' record in these games, 15 and 6. Wow. It's very, very good. Now, it sort of makes sense because you have an opportunity in one postseason to rack up a few on the win column, whereas you can only get one loss, right? You, you can't, uh, <laughs> you, you can't have a, you can't lose a winner, a, a game seven in the NLCS and then somehow make the world series and lose again in game seven of the, of the uh, world series. Like, no, you're out. Whereas for instance, in uh, 2011, the Cardinals won two winner take all games when they won the classic, uh, Game five, the Carpenter uh, holiday game, and they also won game seven of the World Series. But yes, going back to 1926, uh, when the Cardinals first had uh, a winner-take-all game, and that was a game seven win over the Yankees when they caught Babe Ruth trying to steal second base, which is still one of the more ludicrous things um, you can ever say about this sport of baseball, that a game, a World Series, a season ended on a Babe Ruth, a guy who... You know, I, I don't know how good video is from back then, but just by his stature alone does not look like the uh, fastest guy in the world. But he <laughs> lost, helped his team lose a World Series by trying to steal second base. Uh, and yeah, going back to then, the Cardinals have won 15 of the 21 games in which winner takes all were the stakes. The... Uh, I'm trying to think some of the big ones that come to mind. Obviously, the World Series games, you know, starting in 1964, 67, 68, 82, 85, 87. They had six World Series, if I'm counting correctly, six World Series in a row that all went seven games. And that's pretty remarkable. Uh, the Cardinals won uh, three of those. They won in 64, they won in 67, they won in 82. Lost famously in 68, lost in 85. We don't want to talk about that, you know, because then we're going to have to get into uh, Dankinger in game six. And, of course, lost famously in 87 against the Twins when the home team won every game that series. But, and I don't know how this compares to other teams, especially other teams who have been the postseason a lot, but I would be surprised if there are many other teams who can say, not only that they played this many uh, winner-take-all games, but have as good of a record in these type of games as the Cardinals, in fact, do. I would have to say my favorite game of all these would probably be Game 6. I'm, I'm sorry, Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS. That, of mm -hmm. course, is uh, Adam Wainwright 
throwing a strike, uh, a curveball that froze Carlos Beltran that, you know, Carl, that uh, Yadier Molina caught and then, you know, went out and hugged Adam Wainwright. And it's amazing that we're still talking about these two guys, that these guys are still relevant with this present team 13 years later as the Cardinals are back in the playoffs. But that has a lot of good competition, but for my money is probably the best Cardinals game I've ever watched. And, you know, game six, the David Freeze game is weird. You know, that it's hard to say any game is better than game six. That was such like not a great game until like the very end. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's a terrible yeah, game, actually. Yeah, yeah, and it was just more surreal than it was just a great game from beginning to end. Yeah. Uh, the other, I think that would give competition to uh, game seven of 2006 NLCS would probably be game five of the 2011 uh, NLDS, the Carpenter uh, holiday game. That's just a classic and just a nail biter where the Cardinals scored uh, right off the bat and then just held on for dear life and somehow made it to the finish line. Uh, but yes, that is your trip of the week. The Cardinals are awesome and winner uh, take all games, and hopefully they will be sixteen and six uh, in these games um, come uh, Thursday morning. And that is your trip of the week, Tara. Do you have a favorite moment in a winner in a Cardinals winner take all games, or just a favorite game? Yeah, you know it's hard to beat either of those two uh, one here's a, a fun fact i have never actually watched the entirety of the chris carpenter game because i was working that night and after that game i mean i was like following it on my phone obviously but i, I wasn't able to watch and i felt like there was so much stress that postseason that um i i never went back and watched it and i've seen moments of it i've seen highlights from it but i have not watched the game from start to finish um i think the the 2013 game five nlds adam wainwright complete game shutout or not shutout i guess um complete game game, rather that's pretty high up there i feel like those moments where you get such a pitching performance from your guy whether it's chris carpenter or adam wainwright those are the kinds of things that you remember just forever because they're so and especially now you don't really see that as much in the regular season much less the postseason and uh no pressure jack flaherty but those moments are pretty significant so i i would say that along with those two that that 2013 game in fact i asked on twitter the other day what the uh favorite adam wainwright moment was other than the carlos beltran strikeout um and that game five in 2013 was a very, very popular answer um, Mm. because of just how impressive that was for Matt Wainwright. But those games come with so much pressure and so much reaction and there's so much emotion involved that I think it's, it's impossible not to get kind of swept away in the moment. So that I'm looking forward to. Uh, It's also terrifying because it can go bad so quickly. And then this thing that you've built up to be so, significant is over before you know it so hopefully that's not what we're talking about on thursday morning <laughs> yeah that so that wainwright star uh what day is that that was sunday right yes yes uh it reminded me a lot of what i believe was game two in los angeles in 2009 <laughs> nl uh, ds that you know the very bad holiday air when ryan franklin blew the save because that also was adam wainwright 
um, pitching a great game in the playoffs. Um, and no one remembered because of how it ended. Um, yeah. Also similar to Adam Wainwright in 2014 in game five against the Giants. Uh, he pitched a great game and no one really remembers you know why? Because Michael Waka threw a pitch to Ishikawa that <laughs> uh, and, yeah, that ended the entire thing. Um, but last thing, I realized I forgot to mention: 2012, the Cardinals actually played three of these games. If you count hmm. the uh, play the wild card game, which I do, yeah. they you know they they beat the Braves in the wild card game, and then they beat the Nats in that crazy game five, the Pete Cosma game. Uh, I was there. It was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. Um, and then, of course, they lost Game Seven to the Giants in the uh, NLCS, and we don't need to go f- too deep into that because it was awful. Um, and yes, but yes, it's uh, three three winner take all games in one postseason. That's pretty uh, pretty incredible and pretty uh, probably not great on the nerves. Probably not so much. No. Um, I would like to not experience that if possible, but we'll see what happens. So the Cardinals and the Braves in game five on Wednesday. Like I said, if you don't listen to this right away, at least the last half of the show won't be super relevant to you, but I hope everything else will be. Make sure that you're following on Twitter. Follow on your favorite podcast listening app. There are many of them out there. I can't keep track of where everyone listens to the show, but we always appreciate hearing from you. I'm at Tara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. Win or go home. That's where we're at. We made it all this way. And I know that we said before the NLDS started that maybe we would be satisfied with just making it this far, nope. but much like nope. much like the Cubs series at Wrigley... The expectations have changed. (laughs) The satisfaction will not be complete without moving on from Atlanta. So perhaps we'll be talking about that next week. Otherwise, we'll have an entire season to think about at that point. We will figure that out when we get there. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Sarah. He's Alex. We'll talk to you next time.